Welcome to the NutraCast, a production by Nutra Ingredients USA. I'm Danielle Masterson. Thank you for joining me here on the NutraCast, where we talk and share insights from inside the nutrition industry. When it comes to discussing immunity and other health claims, marketers have to be cautious, especially in the current climate. A recent national advertising division decision stated that this is an unprecedented time and declared it would fulfill its public interest mission to protect consumers. But what about consumers who leave reviews that make unsubstantiated health claims? Where does this leave advertisers and their consumer product reviews? Joining me now to discuss what this means for the natural products industry is attorney Mark Allman of counsel at the firm Rivkin Radler, who specializes in natural products compliance and advertising law. Welcome, Mark. Hi, thanks uh, for having me, Danielle. So, Mark, one of the more recent cases that I've come across is the case of a company that make a dietary supplement. They had a webpage with a number of reviews and Some of them referenced COVID. One of them says something along the lines of, I feel better because I'm protected from COVID-19 with your supplements. Another one says, I really think I had undiagnosed coronavirus. Nothing helped until I started taking your supplements. A few days later, I started improving. So what is the responsibility of the person who is making and advertising these products? The advertiser is basically as long as the advertiser has a commercial relationship or has control over the venue where these reviews or, or testimonials are being posted it's incumbent upon the advertiser to ensure that they are um, generally compliant with the federal food drug and cosmetic act F- fdca that then if we're talking in the supplement space making sure that they they don't make drug claims and that they satisfy the standard of truthful and non-misleading which is the ftc's federal trade commission's uh, standard when it comes to reviewing advertising so NAD said these looked more like testimonials. That case pointed to Section 230 of the Communication Decency Act and argued that the reviews were independent content. So, I mean, where do companies draw the line? Companies need to accept that they have responsibility for material like this published on sites on, over which they have control. It's pretty black letter, the pretty well-established law. These aren't new concepts. If you have control over the place where this content is published and you're the marketer or you're the manufacturer, you need to be vetting what gets posted on these sites for compliance purposes. Okay, so that was one case where they had the consumer review posted on one of their websites. So let's talk about another case concerning an elderberry syrup. That product review was actually posted on Amazon. Advertisers don't really have any control over what people post on Amazon. So what about in cases such as that? Unless it is content over which you have absolutely no control, you need to be policing it. Amazon can be challenging. But I've personally been involved in situations with the FTC where they said, you've got some really crazy stuff going on on your Amazon reviews and on your, what they call the Amazon carousel, where the images rotate through. And you need to interact with Amazon and tell them that, you know, here's what you need taken care of. FTC's got a little bit more pull with Amazon than the than the National Advertising Division, uh, NAD. 
but I've been in situations with uh, the FTC where they say, look, you guys want to fix this. You want to resolve this matter. You want, you know, you want us to go away, uh, in essence. You need to communicate with Amazon. And if Amazon gives us a hard time, you let us know. And we have a pretty good feeling that if you tell Amazon you're in contact with us, and if they don't help you resolve these issues, they'll be hearing from our office. Amazon will go right ahead and make those changes. And, and that tends to be the, be the case. Amazon can be difficult, but it, it's not impossible. Gotcha. In other cases, NAD recommended that they don't necessarily have to remove these reviews, but perhaps encouraged the advertisers to maybe address these false views that were expressed in the product reviews that were posted. Could this set a precedence where advertisers are always expected to correct consumer reviews on platforms? I mean, what- it, it, Correcting reviews, um, I, I don't even know how the Federal Trade Commission would feel about that. I mean, I, I urge all my clients to have a program in place where they regularly vet reviews, consumer comments, testimonials, whatever you want to call them, on sites that they control for compliance. And a lot of times you can resolve an an issue by taking out a few words and putting in an ellipsis without making any kind of material changes to reviews. If you're in the position where as a company you have the ability to reach out and contact people who post reviews, uh, if you have a a well-meaning consumer who puts something up that conceivably could cause you a problem with the regulator, reach out to that consumer and say, hey, look, we really appreciate what you're putting up there, but it's going to cause us some compliance issues because we have some pretty rigorous rules we have to follow. Would you mind if we changed the language so that's more compliant, so so that we won't have any problem and you still get to tell other people how much you love our product? Okay, so that's one approach. That's another idea that maybe some companies hadn't thought about before. Is any mention of immunity defense now implicitly a claim about COVID prevention, do you think? I don't think so. I I mean, I think you can make standard immune enhancement, immune defense, uh, supporting, uh, even supporting optimal functioning of your immune system. I think where you, you start to get into trouble even without making any kind of ex- express claims, is when you use language like today's challenging times or protection now when you need it. That starts to raise red flags. It is such a gray area. What are some best practices that you can lay out for companies out there? This is such a broad developing area because there's so many places now consumers can talk about your product and where you have opportunities to interact with them uh, via so any number of platforms, be, even beyond just your website. There are a couple of general principles that you need to keep in mind. The first is when it comes to marketing product, when it comes to an involvement in selling product, you don't have an absolute First Amendment right to say whatever you want. And that's the context for the discussion we've been having. There was a Supreme Court case from 1980, the Central Hudson case, the Central Hudson Doctrine. And in that case, the Supreme Court said regulators do have the power to review, comment on, and take action based upon this category the court created of commercial speech. 
And that's the kind of speech we've been talking about. And speech in connection with the sale of a product or a service or where there's an economic angle to the speech. And that's different from all other categories of speech, which you have virtually unfettered freedom to say whatever you want, short of yelling fire in a crowded movie theater. (laughs) So what companies need to do is understand what they have control over, understand their social media platform, understand how their websites work and interact with their consumers, and just have a program in place, again, where we're talking about sites where they have control, there's a review mechanism involved. If a customer testimonial goes up and is on the website for 24 or 48 hours before somebody takes action to correct it, there's not really going to be a problem. But you need to establish, and the lingo that companies that are listening to us today should understand you should have a standard operating procedure. This should just be part of your ongoing compliance program. Here's the schedule. Here's how we're going to review our websites. Here's what we're going to look at on our social media platforms. And this is the schedule. And have somebody uh, with sufficient understanding of the regulations assigned to this task. It should just be another routine compliance uh, exercise where it sometimes gets a little far-reaching. They're pretty easy rules, pretty easy ways to deal with it, is you can even be held responsible if you go on somebody else's, somebody who have absolutely no relationship with other than that they're a customer, and you see a blog and it says great things about your product. It says that your product absolutely helped them with their coronavirus or their flu or their allergies. And you say, wow, that's a great post. And I love the way they're talking about my product. And you like the post. Now that you're interacting with it and you are checking off how you like it, you're basically, from the regulator's point of view, adopting that comment. And you can be held responsible for it. So in other words, retweets and likes on social media are considered an endorsement? The short answer was yes, but for, for sake of clarity in our discussion, we'll say endorsement is what the consumer says or what the celebrity says about your product. You're adopting it as your own statement once you interact with it that way. Gotcha. So if a company or a brand is going to like or retweet something. It's got to be compliant. If you see somebody saying, I took your product and I loved it. It's the best thing ever. There's no reason you can't retweet it or like that. It's once you start getting into the areas of claims, uh, specific performance claims, specific actions of the product, where it's very important to exercise caution. Mm -hmm. You know, one of of the first cases that really brought this into industry's attention, the FDA sent a warning letter to a pharmaceutical company because it liked a tweet by Kim Kardashian saying, you're making this claim, you're promoting an off-label use, which you're not allowed to do, saying you have adopted this claim in essence. So it, it, it can be pretty far reaching. Definitely far reaching. And like you mentioned, there's been a ton of warning letters issued in recent months. How has business been for you? Has it really picked up since covid Quite frankly, the companies that are getting these warning letters are generally not the companies that are coming and saying, hey, consultant or lawyer uh, or 
expert on, on compliance. What do you think of us, us doing this? It's COVID's pretty far over the line. Mm-hmm. So these are some more uh, unscrupulous characters that we're coming across with these warning letters and such. Uh, you know, it, it, some are unscrupulous. Some really aren't aware at all of the regulatory structure. It's basically uh, almost like operating in a vacuum. And I've talked to a couple of these people who say, oh, wow, I didn't understand this. I just thought I was giving good information. We'll leave it at generally the companies making this kind of claim just are not situated in a way that they would be looking for advice. You know, they're not, they're not going to call up their lawyer and say, hey, can I say my elderberry syrup cures COVID? Right. Some of them are sincerely wanting to help people. Some of them do not have such pure motives. Mm-hmm. Okay. So for these companies who literally just have no idea you know, how to navigate this. What should they do? What are some first steps that they can take to avoid any warning letters or action from NAD? It's hard. Uh, you know, how do you reach these companies? Because a lot of them are small. A lot of them are new to the industry. I mean, as a general proposition, there's a wealth of information available from uh, our trade associations. There's pretty good outreach by the NAD. Um, the Federal Trade Commission has a number of very good guides. The FDA on its website has a variety of guidance documents. And the information's out there, and for people who are looking for it, fairly accessible. Okay. For those who want to find it, it is there, and it's so important for companies to dot their I's and cross their T's. It is. And then and another related area that we'd be remiss if we didn't touch on is bloggers who have relationship of any kind or, or other social media, I'll call them celebrities, who have a relationship of any kind uh, with a company. Even for, for example, if you have a blogger who loves your product so much and they wrote to you and they told you they want to blog about your product and you send them a free case, you've established now a commercial relationship with them. And you're A, responsible for what the blogger says about your product, being truthful and not misleading. And there's an affirmative disclosure obligation on the blogger that you need to tell them about once they accept your product. Because the FTC, and probably rightfully so, has taken the position that the relationship that way, again, even if it's just free product, but the relationship between the influencer, the blogger, and the company is something consumers should, should have available to them. Mm-hmm. And, and that's another area where the Federal Trade Commission has been pretty active in saying consumers understand yet you have a relationship with them. Yeah, the FTC did establish an influencer guideline, and I know that they updated it in recent months. Uh, on the FDA side, you kind of need to know where where to look, you need to poke around. But the FTC has a very uh, accessible uh, website where there's a lot of information out there for companies and consumers. So lots of information out there for anybody who needs to figure out how to operate, stay under the radar. If you use the word COVID in any of your 
advertising or promotional material or it's in a testimonial or a consumer review, you have put a great big bullseye on your back. Okay, so lots um, of information out there for anybody who wants to avoid that big bullseye. Right. I cannot overstate it. If you want to market for COVID, you're risking not just hearing from the NAD. You're risking hearing from the FDA, from the Federal Trade Commission, and even from the United States Attorney's Office. There have been prosecutions in this area for companies that just didn't get it or who have um, been so flagrant in their abuse of the law. We have seen criminal cases. Mm -hmm. Spoken like a true attorney, Mark Allman, thank you so much for joining us here on the NutriCast. Thank you, Daniel. If you like what you just heard, you can subscribe to the NutriCast on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. You can also head to NutraIngredients-USA.com for even more Nutra-related content. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm Danielle Masterson. As always, I'll catch you here on the NutriCast next week.